Good morning, everyone. I count it all joy for the privilege to be able to share things that God has placed in my heart this morning. Praise God. This morning I want to read from um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 16. If you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, uh, read along with me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, the, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we just come right now thanking you for your precious word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that went into providing this word for us today, my God. I pray right now for your Holy Spirit to help me, God, to bring into remembrance the things that you have taught me, my Lord. And I just pray that this message would be edifying to to your people, my Lord God, and that you would help us and strengthen us in Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. This morning, I want to talk about the Bible. Not so much the binding, the beautiful types of bindings that we can have on our Bibles, but I want to talk about the words, the words that are in this book, the words that God highly esteems and that we also should have that esteem for this word that God has breathed out. The Bible tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It was breathed out. It wasn't just breathed out. It was exhaled from the very being of God. He brought this word together. He compiled these words for us, for our edification. We live in a time and an age where we have so much resources available to us that it's embarrassing. We have so many translations of the Bible. We have the New International Version, New American Standard, New King James, the English Standard Version. We have all these versions that are just embarrassing to the point where many languages don't have the privilege to even have a Bible. We still, there's still other languages that need the translation of this precious word. This word still needs to go forth and to reach many. And unfortunately, in the English language, many people neglect the word of God. They don't value it. They don't esteem it like they ought to. And it's just a crying shame because what's happening is every time we've been in a time where it's just been, we've been just been... Uh, comfort it. Oh, we have no, we've had all these privileges and we don't suffer anything. But when the day comes, when the tribulations of man that will come against us, things that's going to come against our faith, we will need this word inside of our hearts in order to endure whatever's going to be coming into the future. We see it today. Just the other day, they were burning Bibles in Portland. So what's going on? It's coming. Persecution is coming. And we're in a day and an age where we need this word of God. This is a supernatural book that transforms people's lives. God just didn't compile these words just to say, oh, you know, I edited a book. 
God spoke these words over 3,500 uh, years ago. The process of writing these words began. God has preserved this book. This book has been attacked for over 2,000 years. It's been burned. It's been, it's been mistreated. It's been uh, accused of many things. Today, it's even considered hate speech. But God, because we serve a God that's the creator of the universe, he has preserved his word throughout the millennia. And it will continue. Yes, the church is going through difficult times, but the church has been through more difficult times, and the word of God has continually prevailed. The faith of Jesus Christ, the faith in Jesus Christ has prevailed throughout the millennia. This book consists of over 66 books. Been about 40 authors over 1,500 years where they're, where they're beginning to compile these words. This thing was birthed out of love. In all eternity, the, the Godhead was together and they had everything. They had the perfect love. They had the perfect communion, the relationship. But God says, you know what? What we have here, I want to share it. And that's where creation came into place. It came into being. God created the universe. He created this planet for us to have a place to dwell from. And because we have a place to dwell from, he was the first one to initiate. He was the first mover. He introduced himself to his creation. And he has spoken to his creation ever since. We know that Moses came along. And God spoke to him, and he spoke to him twice on the, on, on the mountain for over 40 days, so about an 80-day accumulation. He may explain most of what happened through the, the Genesis, through the, uh, the book of Genesis. That's also believed that there was possibly scrolls and things that were written down, and he might have had those documents, he might have had those parchments, and used some of that to record the Genesis um, story. Also during those years, in the early days, they had what was oral tradition. These people back in the days, they could memorize books. In the early church, a lot of the pastors memorized much of what was written down and was given to them. A lot of them memorized the stories that were passed down to us. Today, we can barely remember our phone numbers. But things have changed. But God was aware of our frailty. God was aware of the fact that, you know what? His words are just, they're precious. And, our, and human beings, his creations need this word. So he has preserved it. He has made sure that it, has, it can be in the hands of many people. We are privileged because too many times throughout history, people couldn't afford the Bible. People couldn't even get partial parts of the Bible, we have a privilege where we have the full 66 books. A lot of people say, oh, you know what, that was the Old Testament, man, that's, you know, that's outdated. Oh, no. The Old Testament is a supernatural book because throughout all of history, there's a theme that passed through all those books that the, 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 the thread was redemption. The thread that was involved in all those books in the Old Testament had to do with pointing to the Messiah. 
we know that this book has been challenged over and over and over. The Quran, you can't even challenge it. You can't say nothing about it. They'll be coming to your house and cut your head off, burn your house down. But I'm going to tell you something. This book has been challenged, has been threatened throughout the millennials. And guess what? It's past the test. People try to always say, hey, you know what? It's, got, it's full of contradictions. But they, they lack an understanding of the concept of the, the law of non-contradiction. Just, well, you know, they got contradictions. Do you know anything about the law of non-contradictions? No, what are you talking about? A contradiction is not a contradiction unless it's a contradiction. Okay? For example, if somewhere in the word of God is said that Judas committed suicide, he hung himself. And then if somewhere else it says, no, Judah, Judas did not hang himself. That is a clear-cut contradiction. But people cannot discern the difference between what the definition of a contradiction is between their own, you know, agenda, their own narrative. They want to attack it because it doesn't agree with their own narrative. This book, compared to, for example, the Koran, it cannot, the Koran cannot compete with it because, for one thing, the prophecies that are so powerful, that have been fulfilled, there's no prophecies in the Quran. There's no miracles in the Quran. okay? So people say, well, we don't believe in miracles. Okay, well, let's talk about the prophecies that went forth and that have been fulfilled. Supposedly, there's about 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus and that in the three years of his ministry were fulfilled. That's extraordinary. If, say, some clever individual decided to say, well, you know what? Let's see if we can fulfill these by themselves. Okay? In Daniel, we have the 70 weeks, 390 years, that supposedly in the time when Jesus came, that they were going to try and fulfill maybe a handful of those prophecies. Well, the odds of them trying to fulfill a handful of those prophecies were astronomical. For anybody to fulfill perhaps all 300 of those prophecies was utterly impossible. But how many know that with God, all things are possible, right? All things are possible. So Jesus, they pointed to Jesus, our perfect redeemer, our perfect savior. He was God that came and became flesh for us. It's not for, it's not for his benefit, this Bible is not for our benefit. When we pray, I'm sorry, this Bible is not for God's benefit. Praying is not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. God gets nothing out of it. Sure, he'll enjoy the praise. Sure, he'll enjoy the obedience of it. But the fact is that it's for our benefit. He preserved this word for our benefit. He sent his son for our benefit. And if we think that we're doing God a favor... By coming to church, like some people I know, they kind of act like, you know, oh, you know, they come, to, they come to church and they pat Jesus on the head. You have no understanding of what you, of your attitude. People come against the fact, oh, you know what, man wrote the Bible. Well, that's just a soundbite. And I think they know better. 
holy men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. It's a supernatural book. In other words, in their minds, whoever their God is, it's not big enough. Their God is not big enough to author a book. I don't know about your God, but my God can author a book. And he can make sure that it complements each other. Each book complements the other book. Each testament complements each other. There's no contradictions. There's no faults. 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 Nothing fault, faultable about this book. You can even ask the, the archaeologists when, they, when they're doing their work in the East, Middle East or in the Egypt or wherever it is, their first resource is this. And I'm going to tell you something. If there was anything that wasn't correct, they'd be the first to be shouting. They're the first to be saying, this is not correct. The history in this book is not correct. Does every verse of the Bible say, thus saith the Lord? No, not every verse says, thus saith the Lord. But God has ordained that these, whatever was put into this book was necessary for our edification. The, the, uh, the creation story, the, the story of the exodus, the story of the flood. It's, it's a story about how God took out a bunch of slaves, dysfunctional slaves, from captivity and try to make a nation out of them. It was God ordained that it was necessary that we would understand how God dealt with the Jewish people, how he tried to pour out his love and his mercy toward them, but they continually disobeyed. For the majority of the time of the nation of Israel, they were in apostasy. 99% of the time, they were in apostasy. 99% of the individuals were in apostasy. But God had a remnant. God had a few who would not bow their knee to Baal. We see that in the story with Elijah. God, uh, Elijah was complaining and crying, Oh God, but I'm the only one, I'm the only apostle. He goes, No, no, uh-uh, son. I got 5,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. So God always had a remnant. And that's, that remnant was close to his heart. He was like the 99. He kept going after the 99 because he didn't have to deal about the, last, the one over here. So if we look, a lot of, and look at a lot of the parables in the New Testament, we will see how they relate with the Old Testament and how they relate with the nation of Israel. We know in Isaiah that he would be born of a virgin. We know in Isaiah 53 that how he would live his life and how he would suffer. We know that in Micah that he would be where he was going to be born. In Zechariah, we know how he was going to die for they pierced, the, they pierced him. We know a lot of things from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is our tutor. And no one thing that the apostles and the disciples, they use the Old Testament to point to the Messiah. They use those scriptures in order to convince people who Jesus was. So there is power in the Old Testament. God had, uh, it was a very difficult process. Individuals had to constantly write and copy Write and copy everything that was written down that was necessary, whether it was the, the, um, 
the creation story, whether it was the historical uh, narratives, whether, you know, whatever, whatever the category was, they wrote it down because we have various categories. We have history, we have philosophy, we have doctrine, we have um, <clears throat> prophecies, we have, uh, we have theology. And God put all these things together to point to the Messiah. We also see in Daniel the prophecies that he put forth that were fulfilled in history. We know about the Babylonian Empire. We know about the Medo-Persian Empire that came forth. We know about Alexander the Great that went forth and conquered the Medo-Persians. And then when, when Alexander the Great was cut off, his, his empire was split up into four, and then with the four generals, and then after that, they became two, and then the two became one, which was the Roman Empire, and it's all broken down in the book of Daniel. It's, it's a supernatural prophecy that other holy books cannot even touch. Jesus himself, who is our Savior, who we put all our faith and all our confidence in him, we trust and believe that all that he said, he affirmed just about every book of the Old Testament with maybe the exception of Esther. So that tells me that there's value and there's validity in the Old Testament. If Jesus affirmed these things, then they're true. In my heart, they're true. In our hearts, it's true. All that was said. He fulfilled the Old Testament. We don't need to rely on the Old Testament. But we, what we do need to do when we read the Old Testament. And we see the moral character of God in the Old Testament. It says, oh, we don't have to obey the Old Testament. Well, we'll learn a lot about God. We'll learn a lot about God's mercy. How he, he chased after Israel continually. He poured out his mercy. He practically begged them throughout the centuries. And he told them, you know what? You know, repent and turn to me. And I will bless you. They didn't want to. We know in Deuteronomy where there's curses and there's blessings. We know that, I think it's in Deuteronomy 28 where there's about 15 verses of blessings where he says, you know what, if you obey me, then these are the blessings that will come. He says, but if you don't obey me, there's about 66 verses of curses. And people say, well, if God doesn't fulfill his promises to Israel, then he's a liar. Well, excuse me, he fulfilled all the promises of the, of the curses because he said, if you do this, I will do that. And if you do that, I will do this. And so they would not obey. So he fulfilled his promises. He fulfilled all his promises to the land that he, he told them that he would give them. He fulfilled that in the word. We see it in the word in Joshua. That he gave them all the land. He says, well, what about the land from the Euphrates and this, that, and the other? Well, if we look into Second, uh, First Chronicles, I think it is, when, when Solomon was building the temple that God gave them all that land. So people try to say there's unfulfilled promises. They're here 
written down that they are fulfilled. In the, in the New Testament, people always try to complain and say, well, you know what? You know, these scriptures were written two, three hundred years after the fact. Well, that's not true. We know that in the book of Acts that we see the stories about Peter. We see that um, Stephen and Philip and then the majority of the book has to do with Paul. It tells us everything about the early church in the book of Acts as far as uh, the missionary trips about, of uh, Paul. We see everything except for how he died or when he died and where he died. We know that he died in 65 AD and it was probably under the, um, the emperor Caesar, or I'm sorry, Nero. And Nero was a very ugly and very cruel human being. Even his closest associates used to call him the beast. You know, that he was so cruel and he's so ugly. And the people knew that. And they did call him the beast, but only in a hush-hush. Anybody hear you saying that the emperor was the beast, you would have difficulties. Maybe that's in reference. Maybe that's why John wrote that in Revelation. Maybe that's the beast. And he's already passed. So in 65 AD, that's possibly about 35 years after Jesus died. So those were very early writings. We know that the hymns, we know that the hymns were actually uh, sung earlier than 35 or than 65 AD. We know if, if they have a parchment that was, that's probably dated about 110 to 125 and it's a fragment of, um, of the book of, of, uh, um, the Gospel of John. So all of these books were actually written in the first century and then there were copy after a copy after a copy. We don't, we don't have the originals, but we have more documentation to prove the Word of God than any other ancient literature. We have over 5,000 documents of Scripture that's available to us and comparing them from one to another, there is accuracy. Bruce Metzger, that is one, probably the greatest uh, Bible scholar in America, says that we have confidence that we have 99.6% uh, validity or accuracy compared to the original writings. F.F. F. Bruce, the greatest scholar in, in, uh, in England, which from, you know, recent memory, he, he attested to that himself also, that we have confidence of 99.6% reliability that these were as close to the original writings that we can get. As time went on, <clears throat> people... In, in, in the early church, people didn't have books like this. In the early church, they didn't even have 
they couldn't even afford a parchment. If a pastor had a parchment and he had some of the writings of some of the apostles, he was a very fortunate individual. But they would always be copying that, that one letter. They'd copy it and copy it and copy it and copy it, and it'd be circulated. So early Christians, all the way up into the six or seven hundreds, didn't actually have a Bible. They couldn't afford it. You know, the Catholic Church tried to run a monopoly upon it. Uh, most of the scriptures were in Latin because, for one, uh, well, the New Testament was all written in Greek, even though Jesus spoke a lot of the language was Aramaic. Um, back in the Old Testament, after they were... Uh, after they went into exile and all these individuals were influenced by the culture of the Greeks. So because of that, uh, scholars got together. Again, the remnant got together and they translated from the Hebrew into the Greek because that was the most common language that they used after they came back from captivity, after Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. And then... <clears throat> um, People didn't have it, so uh, we had the uh, the book Jerome, the the writings of Jerome. It was the Latin Vulgate, and everything was in Latin. People didn't speak Latin anymore. Latin was the language of the Roman Empire that was used in the government, and it was used uh, for official business in the government. So it started taking over for a long period of time, but then eventually. The people walked, they moved away from the, from the Latin, and people didn't, under, didn't know Latin. And so the Catholic Church had a monopoly on the Word of God because they would tell them things, and they didn't know if it was true or not because they didn't have the Scriptures for themselves. And so what we're having here is that we have individuals that rose up and said, you know what, we need to translate this book and so that the common people can have it. We need to have a book in order for them to be able to read it for themselves. And lo and behold, this when the Inquisition came into place and we had individuals that would be, be, in, be put in jail, be imprisoned, be tortured, and be murdered because of the word of God. The Catholic Church did not want individuals to have the word of God in their possession because they felt that, oh, they wouldn't be able to interpret it properly. Only trained individuals can um, expound on the scriptures. Well, who said that they were trained? So what we have here is individuals would die for translating this word. Individuals would die and be tortured because, because they had this in their procession. People were burned at the stake for having a Bible study. People were burned at the stake for translating it into English and people were tortured. You can read the martyrs book of uh, Fox's book of martyrs. Women had you know appendages you know, cut off, people tortured, people dropped into boiling water for having the word of God. But people were not scared. And they they weren't scared of that. They 
they cherish these words more than their lives. And so, so those things didn't keep them from the word of God. What keeps us from the word of God? You know. TV, the remote control, you know, the remote control keeps us from the word of God. Our cell phones keep us from the word of God. You know, the computers keep us from the word of God and from the time of prayer. So, do we value it as much as, say, people that died at being burned at the stake? Okay, yeah, come in for a landing here. Uh, Jeremiah 9.23, which says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glory in, let him who glories glory in this. That he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. God wants us to know him. He wants us to understand him. And so what he did, he brought this to us. He says, look, I want a personal relationship with you. I want you to know me. I want you to understand me. And the best way to know him and understand him is by reading his word and praying. So my message was in a summary. I had to sum everything up. There's just so much material. And this is just to encourage the church. There's other material for skeptics that don't want to believe the word. There's more material on that. But again, this is just a gist of what God did to bring this word to us. Amen. So with that, I will close that this word brought us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ introduced us to the Father so that we can have a relationship with the Father. Amen. Let's pray.